My Seven Chakras, episode 22. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at begin to change. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. So good morning, listeners. This is your host, AJ, and I'm excited to bring you our featured guest today, Reverend Michael Carter. Michael, are you ready to inspire? I'm always ready to inspire. Perfect. (laughs) So Reverend Carter is drawing from his own personal experience and the wisdom he has gleaned from the ageless teachings of A Course in Miracles, Unity Christianity, and other religious studies to compile a spiritual toolkit for the layperson. So Michael, I've given our listeners a small introduction. Please take about 40 seconds to tell us a bit more about yourself. Well, I serve a Unitarian Universalist congregation here in Black Mountain, North Carolina. I am a proud dad. I have a nine-year-old. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, originally. I am 58 years young, and I have been a student of metaphysics uh, for probably about 20, 25 years. It's the way I try to live my life, and I found it to be very rewarding and fulfilling. Well, thanks for that amazing introduction. Now, we know that words have the power to heal. And in order to lay the foundations for today's wonderful conversation that we're going to have, we usually begin the show with an inspirational quote. So, Michael, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us an example of how you apply this quote to your everyday life. Okay, one of my favorite quotes is by the late Wayne Dyer. Mr. Dyer said, that if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at begin to change. It's pure metaphysics. And basically, I find that if if I'm having a personality difficulty with someone, or let's say there's something annoying me about an individual, I mean, it's all coming from me uh, anyway, but I find that if I change my mind about the situation, or the individual. The individual may not change, or the situation may not change, but the way I look at it has changed, and therefore, my environment changes. Give you an example. There was a person who was very, very difficult with me at my church, and, you know, no matter what I did, uh, it just never seemed to satisfy this individual, and of course, then my ego started to get involved, and I was thinking, well, who are you? Who are you to tell me this? And, you know, you know how the ego goes. And then one day, I just made up my mind that I was going to really listen to this individual, and I was going to maybe get a little more information about their background. And when they talked to me, I started, they talked to me about some of the difficulties in childhood, some of the wounds that they had. And it gave me more compassion and insight. And so this person never really changed towards me personality-wise, but I had more compassion and understanding. And therefore, they weren't an, an annoyance to me anymore. Well, thanks a lot. 
there you go listeners don't always seek to change the world around you sometimes it's really powerful when you change the way you look at things because when you do so the things you look at change they do. as they really as you shared <laughs> they really do there's another quote i'll just tell you very quickly it's by rumi it's by uh, the poet rumi and he says when i was younger and clever i wanted to change the world but now that i'm older I realize I just need to change myself. Well that is phenomenal. Thanks a lot for sharing these two powerful quotes with us today. And with these powerful thoughts, let us begin today's show. So Michael, do you like visiting the mountains once in a while? I I live right in them. I can look out from my door and see them. I have a, some Cherokee blood in me, some Native American blood, and of course, uh this part of the country was Cherokee land. before the, the European came mm-hmm. and uh, the Cherokee reservation is about 45 minutes from me so I'm very blessed I'm surrounded by mountains here in Asheville North Carolina beautiful so let's just say you're at a health retreat somewhere among the mountains and someone asks you Michael what is the main focus at this point in your life what would you tell them the main focus in my life is to learn to love and 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 to be more self-aware i think those two grow hand in hand uh given the quote that I the second quote by Rumi and I have a lot of friends who are activists and I understand that they're human rights activists civil rights activists animal rights activists and I love it and I too try to change my environment in that way but I realize that if I change my consciousness if I change the way I look at life I'm doing the same thing which is not to say you can't do both but there's a wonderful quote by the late Ernest Hemingway. He had little patience for people who try. He said I I I have little patience for people who try to change the world when they haven't taken the time to find out what it's all about in the first place. Wow, that's so true. So Michael, let's move on to the next topic which is about chakras. I know that you are a Reiki practitioner, so you might be able to relate really well. So for those listening chakras are energy centers within the body that correspond to major nerve ganglia and bodily processes such as breathing digestion and procreation. Now we have seven main chakras and while they don't exist within the physical body they have significant effects on our health. So Michael could you tell us a little bit about the significance of chakras in your practice? Well Great question. I work with a lot of healers more experienced than me, I would imagine. They've been doing it longer, but I realize that these chakras, now some clairvoyants claim that they can actually see the chakras which are like little wheels. And I use them because to me they're power points in the body. For instance, when someone comes to me and they're complaining of fatigue, usually I will put my hand on their solar plexus, which is the third chakra. If you stood with it with your hands and legs spread and made it look an X in your body, the X, the center of the X would meet at your solar plexus. This is where right in your stomach area. A lot of disease starts in the stomach. But also, for instance, people who maybe have different ways of being intuitive, they feel and they will say, "Well, you know, Michael, I get a gut feeling here." I'm looking at okay they're talking about their stomach area. Some people may say I hear you, I hear what you're saying, so people frame the way they they exist in the world differently. Some people are clairaudient, some people will will feel more. But for me, the heart chakra, the throat chakra, you know, the heart chakra is in your chest, your throat chakra at the third eye. Usually that's associated with the color blue, the throat chakra. I I try to always 
get extra energy there. Obviously, the third eye is the clairvoyance. The throat chakra uh, is how people express themselves or do not express themselves. And of course, the heart chakra is where, you know, we want to open up that energy field to open up ourselves to giving and receiving more love. If there's a lot of fear, I will put my hands around the second chakra. The first chakra is obviously the root chakra, has to do with procreation, that kind of thing. But the the second chakra is survival. How do I survive in the world? Am am I coming from a lack of scarcity? Uh, Or am I coming from scarcity? Is there never enough? And so I will work on that chakra, depending on what the need is or what the client tells me. And of course, there's the crown chakra, where we get our inspiration from the all that is, from God, Allah, Krishna, uh, the primal source. Call it what you will. So they're very, very important energy centers, and they can always use uh, more energy because we use a lot of energy up just living in the world. I hope that gives you some insight. Well, thanks a lot for that wonderful explanation. It really brought about an understanding of how you use chakras in your practice and uh, the various type of chakras and how people interpret them in their daily lives. So thanks a lot. So Michael, I know that you have a 30-day course called God Consciousness designed to reestablish a person's connection with the higher power. Yeah. So my question is, what is God-centered thinking? Great question. For me... It is getting past the illusions that we're all separate. I think that uh, religion, for better or for worse, or consciously or unconsciously, has taught people that God, uh, the all that is, I don't want to get hung up on names because I don't, call it what you will, but we've been taught that God is up there in the sky, that we are separate, we are down here, we are lowly creatures, we are sinful creatures, and I feel that that's caused people a lot of misery and a lot of disillusionment. And for me, God-centered thinking is through by meditation, contemplation, uh, getting out in nature, that we find that, as as the teacher Jesus said over 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Uh, God is not Santa Claus who is punishing you whether you're naughty or nice. It's, it's not even a human being. It's, it's an energy. It's, it's an intelligence. And we are all part of that intelligence. So in, in many ways, we have to unlearn, as the character Yoda says in Star Wars, we have to unlearn what we've learned. Sometimes that's very difficult. Sometimes it's easier to learn something totally new. But I, I give you 30 days in my book. Uh, it's every day, is a, you know, it's like a daily word. Every day is an affirmation and a thought for you to think about. And what I'm getting people to do is to get past that separation, that this energy lies within me. I am not separate from it. It's not Santa Claus. And I think that that will help people a lot in the evolution of consciousness. Well, thanks a lot for that. I love that you mentioned that we need to get past the illusion, as you rightly put it, the illusion that we are separate. And this sort of reminds me of a Buddhist principle because I do follow Buddhism uh, in my daily uh, routine. And it says that uh, it talks about the principle of oneness of self and environment. Sometimes we feel that we're separate from the environment. We're separate from our friends, family, maybe our colleagues. But when we look at it through the lens of we being one with the environment and the 
everything changes and i think and i love the theme that you are sharing today it sort of resonates with what i believe in strongly as well yeah i mean you know the buddha called it maya the illusion and so one of my favorite movies is the matrix and at least the first matrix movie and you know it was about getting to me it was really um, an updated version of hindu metaphysics that we live in this world of maya of illusion of separateness there's not enough love to go around there's scarcity there's not enough money to go around there's not enough of anything to go around if you get more then that means it's less for me and on a spiritual level that's simply not true the universe the cosmos is abundant and we've been taught that there's not enough and so we have to relearn well we have to unlearn that this is really not true i completely agree that uh, there has to be a transition a change in uh, everyone's perspective and i'm really intrigued by your 30 day course could you take us through this 30 day journey toward god centered thinking in other words what happens to this person at each phase of this journey well i'll tell you I, i it depends on the individual where they are in their practice but it's almost like Well like the course in miracles it's a spiritual psychotherapy. We all know that effect is the last level of manifestation which means that it starts inside of us. So you know in the east they call it karma here we call it cause and effect. But everything starts from inside. And so what I'm trying to get people is to change their thoughts and by changing their thoughts they change their consciousness which will change the manifestation in their lives. In other words, let's say I need money. I you know, most people focus on being broke. I was like that as well. But now what I do is focus on the abundance because we know that quantum physics and metaphysics tells us that whatever you focus on you create. If you want more love, then be more loving. If you want more abundance, then realize the abundance that you have. And so I'm trying to get people to change their thought and therefore change their lives. Buddha said this 500 years before Jesus that your thoughts are things. They are forms of energy. All we are and all that we will be is because of our thoughts. This is in the Dhammapada. And so this is ancient wisdom. This is not new age. Uh this is ancient wisdom that we are rediscovering. That's what my course is trying to get people to do. So from what I understand uh, what you're trying to do in your course is basically induce a gradual progression a progression of a change in thinking and as you rightly mentioned it's not easy for a person to change the way they think but what you're doing through the course is changing their thoughts from thoughts about scarcity to thoughts about abundance over that 30 day period at the end of which depending on what their practice is uh, they can experience a transformation am i correct yeah that's what's great because you can be any religion you can be no religion and remember i'm not just thinking about abundance in the forms of money but i'm talking about abundance in all the forms the universe is abundant and so are we as part of that and so i'm trying to get people to say to think you want more love you want more abundance as far as money you want better health you want these things to become the great intuitive and you want to live your and fulfill your own potentials well the only way to do that is through changing the way you see the world remember the quote at the beginning from dr dyer 
if I change the way I look at things, the things I look at begin to change. Well, thanks for that. Now, in your book, Michael, you mentioned that on December 28th, 1989, you encountered off-world intelligences for the very first time. So my question is, what exactly happened on that fateful day? If you can take us to that very instant yes. and tell us a story behind it. Yes, that was in my first book called Alien Scriptures, Extraterrestrials in the Holy Bible. What had happened was, at that time, a girlfriend um, which, who became my first wife years ago, we went to the pyramids at Chichen Itza and Tulum on the Yucatan Peninsula in uh, Mexico. And you must remember, I, I'm not, I wasn't a Star Trek person. I wasn't into science fiction at all. As a matter of fact, I didn't even believe in life. Uh, in other worlds. So I came back and I went to a party that evening. No alcohol was consumed. Uh, I didn't want to go, but I, I was tired, but I wanted to show off my tan. I just came back from 85, 90 degrees in New York. It was freezing. And so I went to the party. I stayed for about 90 minutes. And when I went back home, I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at the Excelsior Hotel, it was a residential hotel, at 45 West 81st Street. It's still there. And I, I got up in the middle of the night. I don't know whether I had to go to the restroom or what. But when I got up, I looked, and my whole room was lit up with this tremendous bright light. But actually, it was kind of a cobalt blue, but it lit up my whole bedroom. My girlfriend at the time would not wake up or could not wake up. And there was a being at the edge of my bed who was chalk white in color, had the big pear-shaped head and the, the, the black eyes that we see now uh, that, that tells us about some species of off-world intelligences. They, all, they don't all look like that. And he had on a jumpsuit that was very tight-fitting, and it, it was like aluminum foil. That was the, the color of it. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I thought my heart was going to burst from fear. And so I pulled the cover up over my head. And then I heard this sound. And I felt the temperature change as if I was outside of my room. It, I was so cold. And I said to my, my mind was trying to register all this. And it felt like I was outside. I pulled the cover down and no one was there. No one was there. It's very strange. So what happened was this started happening twice a month. I noticed that every full and new moon, I would get a visit from these beings. And I would be paralyzed. I couldn't move in my bed. But they would show me pictures of what they were trying to tell me. And at this time, I started really studying metaphysics really studying existential philosophy, uh, uh, religion. It was almost like they were f driving me or forcing me to do this. And I went to uh, a psychiatrist because, to be honest with you, I, I, I thought I was losing my mind. And I wasn't losing my mind. And then someone showed me, and people can get the book and read more about it. Someone told me about a support group for people like me who were having these uh, experiences. And so um, I, I won't give you the whole thing, that, but people can buy the book. And it continued to happen. Uh, the last visit I had was two years ago. Sometimes they'll come to me in my meditations, but the last physical visit 
where someone was in my room that could touch me and I could touch them. That was about two years ago. Uh, and so when we talk about is there life on other dimensions and other planets, I say yes, no question. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it seems as if they were trying to support you yes. on your journey and trying to communicate something with you. You're right, brother, because see, I know people who've had these experiences and they've had very frightening and traumatic. And I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that those beings don't exist who will do that, just like they're human beings who are more evolved and they're human beings who are less evolved. Well, it's the same thing all through the cosmos. I know that my life got better. That's not to say I didn't have problems and challenges like everybody does, but I love more. My heart opened up more. I really started caring more about the earth. I really started seeing past these illusions of separateness. But the only thing was, is that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I was raised in a Bible tradition that was very literal. And there were people who were saved and there were people who were not saved. But that didn't fit anymore. And so I had to change the way that I lived. I had to change the way that I thought. And so I got into metaphysics and healing and psychic studies and, uh, you know, training my intuition. So it really changed. Aside from the birth of my, ch- of my daughter, this was the most important thing that's happened in my life. Those two events have made me the person that I am today. Wow. I'm literally having goosebumps right now. <laughs> and it's obvious that this particular encounter kickstarted your spiritual journey. Yes. But my question is, what were you doing before you began this journey? Well, I was an actor in New York. I was leading a very ego-driven life. Not that there's anything more wrong with that, but I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to serve. And I couldn't serve being an actor because 99% of all actors are unemployed every given day. People don't realize that, that most actors are not working. They're waiters. They're doing other jobs that they need to do until they get their so-called big break. And I just got tired of doing that. But what I did was I used the skills that I learned as an actor, public speaking, how to get a a message across, storytelling. And I became a clergy person, which I've probably done in other lifetimes. And so I use those skills. Tomorrow morning, I'm doing a sermon on letting go. And I use those those, uh, public speaking skills to reach my audience and to encourage them to not look outside themselves for their greatness, for their potentiality, but to look inside. Well, thanks for that. So, Michael, let's assume that a person listening to the show right now has decided to embark on this magnificent journey of reestablishing their connection with the higher power by accessing God consciousness. What are some of the benefits that a person could obtain from pursuing this 30-day practice? Now, I want you to break down these benefits into short-term immediate uh, benefits, and then the long term as well, if you could. Okay, I'll I'll do that. And I do that in the book as well. You know, for me, the benefits are inner peace, that when everything is going on around you, the storms of life will not affect you because you will always be centered. You will not get overly excited and overly emotional. You will be a more authentic person, a more compassionate and loving and I think most of all, a more forgiving person, that you will be living your life from your essence as opposed to your personality. 
because the personality is really the false self that we've been taught to have. And so you will meet each and every situation in life from your center, which is peace, which is equanimity, which is uh, serenity, which is love and compassion, not only for other people, but for yourself as well. Wonderful. And those are some really transformational benefits that I'm sure everyone would love to experience. But there's nothing more inspiring than a real life example. So what is your most inspiring client success story to date? Well, I, I touched on it at the beginning of the program that I just see things differently. I'm no longer the victim of my life. Yes, there are things that happen, but many times I have to realize that I co-create my life. I'm a powerful individual. And so if I look at things in my life as lessons, as opposed to problems, or at being a victim, why is this happening to me? The Buddha talks about it again. And uh, She did this to me. He did that to me. Life is too short for that. I try to look at what did I do? Where is my culpability? How can I be different? And then my life changes. The way I look at life changes. If I woke up this morning and go, oh God, it's a rainy day, and oh, which it is, and then I read the paper, oh, look what Putin is doing, look what Obama's doing, look what's happening in the Middle East, and then I'll drink some coffee, and I'll pour that on top of it. Guess what? I'm not going to have a good day. But I get up, and I go, I got another day at life. I am alive. I am healthy. This is an adventure. Let's see what life brings me today. Well, which of those two people you think are going to have the better day? The second one. Yes. And I'm not talking about living with my head in the sand. Yes, there are problems in the world. There are troubles. But I'm not here to save the world. I'm here to take care of my part of the garden. And that's why the serenity prayer from the 12 steps is so powerful about having give me the courage to change the things I can and give me the wisdom to know the difference. I'm not here to put out every fire. I'm here to do what I can do and be satisfied with that. Well, that is powerful. And what you said reminds me of the compound effect, which says that small improvements, small lessons, small things are the key to long-term results. In other words, it is clear that in order to see the massive results, the person who has begun this 30-day practice has to take action every single day and do all of this, as you mentioned, without holding any grudges and forgiving, which is sometimes not an easy thing to do. No, it's a, remember, it's a process, not an event. Exactly. There's no there there. It's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. And so, but it is worth it. It's worth the journey. Remember, Gandhi says that everything we do may be insignificant, but we must do it anyway. A lot of people think that in order for me to make a difference, I have to be Dr. King. I have to be Mother Teresa. I have to be Krishna. I have to be. No, no, you know, no, 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 no. That may not be where you're called to do this lifetime. It may be just treating your neighbor as you would treat yourself. It may be going out and feeding the homeless on Thanksgiving. It may be buying a gift for someone 
on Christmas who you don't know. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be grandiose. All of us are called to do different things. Dr. King had his mission. Gandhi had his mission. That's not everybody's mission, but we all have something to contribute. Thanks a lot for that. Now, Michael, at this stage of our show, I usually ask our guests for one health tip, something simple and small that a person can try immediately to improve his or her health. So what is that one highly beneficial health tip or advice that you could share with our audience? That if you can spend some time in nature, take off your shoes and walk on, get the earth under your feet. Get out near some water. Let the earth speak to you. Sit under a tree. Let those meditate under a tree. Let those energies, because we're so cut off from the earth because of technology. True. And so, it, because remember, it, it will give you peace of mind. The other thing I would do, you only asked for one, but I will give one more. Sure. Try to go a whole day without giving people advice. Unless someone asks you what they should do, because a lot of us are so busy giving advice or giving our energy to other people that we can use that for ourselves. It's hard enough to live our own lives, much less tell people how they can live theirs. Now, you want to talk about something difficult. Just try to go 24 hours. with. If someone starts talking to you about a problem, then say to them, "Do I'm just going to listen. Mm-hmm. And now it's hard for me to do because, but I do do it. I'm a minister and most people come to me with their problems and they may set up appointments with me. But what I do is I will say to them, do you want me to listen or do you want me to uh, suggest? Many times people don't even know what they want. They haven't even thought it through themselves. And so they will say, well, I don't know, really. Mm -hmm. So you just say, I listen. And it works for me because I don't want to burn out. Right. And it's a boundary. So those two things, get out in nature, take your shoes off and get your feet dirty. Let the earth uh, support you and nurture you and try to go 24 hours without giving advice. Use that energy on yourself. I think those two things uh, will take away stress. And you'll get to see how much energy you expend on getting involved in other people's problems when you could use that energy to work on some of yours. Well, thanks for those priceless nuggets of wisdom. Now, Randy Posh once said that the brick walls are there for a reason. The brick walls are there not to keep us out. The brick walls are there to give us a chance to show how badly we want something and to stop the people who don't want it badly enough and this is going to be the central theme for the next phase of our show which is all about a major challenge or a learning moment so michael could you tell us about a time when you were faced by a major challenge or a barrier take us to that moment tell us what you were feeling at that very instant and then how did you overcome that challenge i was in a relationship once with someone and this was my fault i saw some signs i saw some red flags some yellow flags but i thought i could change them which was a big mistake. Several years down the line, the relationship actually did break up, but the barrier was for me, I was trying to change this person and I was asking them to do something that they couldn't do. And that was to connect more, to communicate more. But it was a barrier. It took me years. And the the obstacle for me, how I got over it was, you know, I took some therapy. I did my meditation. I really started doing some self-searching And the barrier was, A, you can't change people. We say we know that, but it's one thing to know it in your head, but to actually do it. But the other thing was that 
I had to look at the relationship for what it was, not the way I thought it should be. A lot of us do magical thinking, and we see only what we want to see. And so the obstacle was, Michael, you have to grow up. And a grown-up sees things as they are, not the way they wish they could be. And eventually the relationship dissolved, and it was painful, but I had a lot more peace, and I learned a big lesson. Lessons are like this. You can know it intellectually, but unless you've experienced it, it's not real. So I knew intellectually you can't change people. You have to let people do what they want to do, even if it's, you know, even if you may know a little better or what have you. But I had to let go. That was the obstacle. I had to let go. But I must say that my life is fuller, that I bless this individual and they've gone on to live their life. Uh, I wish them all good things and vice versa, but I am more at peace. And life was trying to tell me this a long time ago, but I would not listen. And the way life works is life will let you do keep going, keep going, keep going until you learn your lesson. So looking back now, what is that one major life lesson you would want our listeners to take away from your story? That love is accepting people as they are, but love is also doing what's right for you. And that may mean walking away from a relationship. It may mean walking away from a job. It may mean walking away from family. The, the, the adage is love your neighbor as yourself. But we don't look at the last couple words as yourself. And if you don't really love yourself, you can never really love me. So first off, thank you for sharing your precious life lessons with us and allowing us to learn from your experiences. I know going back to a moment of challenge is never easy. But because you did, our listeners will have one more reason to take action. So thanks a lot for that. You're very welcome. So Michael, as they say, the darkest hour of the night comes just before the dawn. We are now moving on to the next portion of our show, which is all about finding your true calling or your true purpose. So listeners, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a calling as a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. So in case you haven't found your calling yet, just have faith because you never know who you might meet and how they might influence you. So my question to you, Michael, have you found your calling? If yes, what is your calling? Most definitely. My calling in this lifetime was to be a teacher and to model the message not only to give the message, but to be the message. And that means I will make mistakes. I'm a human being. But my message is that we are all coming from the same source and that what I do to you, I do to myself. What I do to the earth, I do to myself. And I just spread that message. It, it may come in different form, but it's about losing this sense of separateness because it will destroy us. It is destroying us. And so that is my message to be the teacher. But also the old saying goes, those who teach, what they teach is the lesson they most need to learn themselves. And so it's not like I'm up on a pedestal and oh let me tell you about this. Oh, because I have my I'm so together. No, 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 no. I'm learning as well. So I'm sure you agree, Michael, that life is about magical moments. That one promotion, that one client, 
that one lottery that can literally change your life. So what is that one moment that you can share with our listeners beyond which you knew without a doubt that this is what you were meant to do? I think it was when I met the off-world intelligences that they gave me a broader view of what I'm about, what life is about, that I'm more than just this brown body that I have and that one day that will go, but I will always exist. And as I said at the outcome, being a parent, being a father, it's the greatest joy that I could ever experience. I mean, here is someone that I would literally give my life for. And I am very fortunate to have had both these experiences. The the experiences, the mystical experiences with the off-world intelligences was not easy because people thought I was crazy, and they still probably do. But because of shows like Ancient Aliens, which is on the History Channel that I've been on, uh, yeah, people, talk, the Pope is talking about extraterrestrial intelligence. It's almost like like the world is ready now. But at the beginning, 20 years ago, when I was talking about this, uh, it was it was tough. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I hung in there. And uh, I feel very blessed. Well, thanks so much, Michael, for sharing your priceless magical moments with us. And like all things come to an end, we have reached the final round, which is called the wisdom round, where I will ask you a series of questions and you will respond with nuggets of wisdom, just like in a rapid fire round. And during this round, our listeners will get to listen to nuggets of wisdom, get inspired and obtain actionable steps that they can take right away. So, Michael, are you ready? Yes. What is the best advice you have ever received? To keep my side of the street clean. It's a 12-step saying that I'm responsible for my life and let other people live, live theirs. Perfect. At My 7 Chakras, we strongly believe that great habits can dramatically enhance the quality of your life. So if you had to recommend a personal habit that contributes to your well-being, what would it be? Meditation. So Michael, describe the first two hours of your day. What is your morning ritual? I get up in the morning. I read some poetry. I always try to read something beautiful. Uh, I, I listen to some ministers' uplifting messages. Uh, I meditate. I do yoga or either go to the gym and swim. Uh, I pray and then I hit the office and I am ready to start my day. I do that every day. I am centered. I don't. The first thing I do is not turn on the news or turn on the TV. The first thing I do is say thank you for the day, read some literature, listen to some uplifting messages, maybe read some poetry, meditate, uh, pray, and get out the door. Perfect. Now, we know that reading books can be transformational. If you could recommend one book that changed your life, what would it be? The one book that changed my life. Wow. I think it would be Where Do We Go From Here by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So listeners, you can find links to all the resources that we discuss about in the show notes. So Michael, I've truly enjoyed chatting with you today. And I'm sure our listeners enjoyed listening to every story that you shared. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for today. Tell us the best way we can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. I'm grateful that you gave me the time to get my message out and hopefully I'll get a link from you and I'd like to spread this good news. You can get my books on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles. It's in Nook. Kindle, and paperback. 
And um, I wish you, Mr. Jay Kumar, many, many blessings and peace. So, Michael, thanks a lot for coming to our show today and taking our listeners one step closer to a human revolution. Blessings to you, my friend. Namaste. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.